you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you don't, the scripture is printed in the bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. Here, just at the start, we're going to read Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 22. So friends, listen, this is God's word. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today, for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now... The Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This is God's word. This passage is incredibly important. It's huge in the life of Israel because of the timing. Because of the timing when this word was spoken to Israel. Israel is about to take the next step in their relationship with God. Okay, they have left Egypt. They've left slavery in Egypt, and they're now on the brink of entering into the promised land. Okay, so for us, in trying to imagine what this was like, this would be as though you had a great, like a good friend of yours, bought you the perfect home, and then got you the perfect job. And you are standing outside the front door, and your friend is walking up the the, the front porch with the keys. Okay, that's where Israel was. Now, for us, we're kind of in a similar place as a church. We're in the midst of a resolution that we've made, a new you resolution. Right? We're trying to love our neighbors. We're resolved to loving our neighbors, to be a blessing to the people around us that we live with, that we work with. And God is preparing us for the next stage in the life of our church. He's preparing us for the future of who we are as a church. And so, at this moment in the life of Israel... And they are about to, they're standing on the threshold of entering into the promised land. God says in this passage, okay, let's hold on just one second and let's make sure we're on the same page. Okay, that's what he's doing here. And what God does is he renews his covenant relationship with his people. He wants to make sure that they understand exactly what it means to be in a relationship with him. God's desire is that Israel will flourish, will flourish, that they'll experience. I mean, lasting happiness, real significance and satisfaction in their lives. 
And so he starts this, and it's like a renewal of vows. You know, kind of like people are married, they do a renewal of vows service. That's kind of what this is like. Now, there is so much in these uh, 11 verses here that you could read, that you could study and consider, especially if you're starting fresh with God. It's a great place to start to try to understand what a relationship with him looks like. But in the midst of this covenant renewal, God says, as you're about to enter into the promised land, there is one group of people that you need to make sure you take care of. Okay? There's one group of people that you need to be especially tuned to to make sure that you care for them. Look at verse 19. He says, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In verse 18, it describes who God is. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so one vital aspect of Israel's life in the promised land as they were going to enter into the next stage of their relationship with God, was that they needed to love and care for the sojourner. And so we're going to talk about that today. That's what we're going to look at. Because if we can understand this, then we'll know how to love the sojourners in our lives, and it's going to change our hearts and our minds for the better. Okay, so we're going to look at three things today as we talk about the sojourner. If you want to take notes, they're on page 7. We're going to see first, who are the sojourners? Second, how to love the sojourners? And then third, why to love the sojourners. Okay, so who are they, how to love them, and why to love them. Okay, so first, who are the sojourners? In the land of Israel, back then when this was written, sojourners, uh, a sojourner was someone who lived with the people of Israel, but wouldn't have called themselves an Israelite. Okay, so this would have been somebody who was living uh, with the Jews, but wasn't a Jew. Okay, they didn't agree or believe in the God of Israel. Okay, that's what a sojourner was. Uh, Now, this would happen when a man or a woman, with or without their family, would leave their village or their tribe. Okay, they would leave their people, um, and and usually that would happen because of war or famine, maybe disease, uh, and then they would seek shelter and residence someplace else. Okay, they'd leave their family. It was an awful thing to do. Nobody wanted to do that typically because you're leaving the protection of your family and you're going to this other place. When you got to this other place, you were considered a sojourner. You know, in a sense, you were an alien. You were a stranger and you'd have no rights because you'd have no property, you'd have no home, you'd have no ability to vote. And so this is what it was like to be a sojourner. So these sojourners were usually pretty lonely. Um, they were often estranged from the people that they lived among because they had different cultures, different customs, different belief systems, different loyalties. A lot of times they had different laws. And so that's what it, that's what it was like to be a sojourner during the time of Israel. Now today, what does that look like? Maybe you're already thinking about some of this as you've thought through what the sojourner was then. Well, there's lots of ways that we can think about the sojourners in our own lives. And uh, what I want to do is I want to tell you a little bit of a story that I think will give you in your mind a really clear picture of what sojourners are, especially as we are looking to be resolved to love our neighbors. Okay? Um, I want to read a, a part of a story that um, a father wrote uh, about he and his wife when they went to the Soviet Union to try to adopt two baby boys. Okay, let me read this to you. Um, He says this, he says, The creepiest sound I have ever heard was nothing at all. 
My wife, Maria, and I stood in the hallway of an orphanage somewhere in the former Soviet Union on the first of two trips required for our petition to adopt. Orphanage staff led us down a hallway to greet the two one-year-olds we hoped would become our sons. The horror wasn't the squalor and the stench, although we did at times stifle the urge to vomit or to weep, but the horror was the quiet of it all. The place was more silent than a funeral home by night. I stopped and I pulled on Maria's elbow. Why is it so quiet? This place is filled with babies. And both of us compared the stillness with the buzz and the punctuated squeals that came from our church nursery back home. Here, if we listened carefully enough, we could hear babies rocking themselves back and forth, their crib slats bumping against the walls. These children did not cry, and then we learned why. They didn't cry because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, or for love. Infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, or for love. And no one ever responded to these children, so they stopped crying. Man, that hit me. You know, these children, they stopped crying because nobody responds. Their needs didn't go away, but their hope that someone cared did. I thought about this story, I realized, you know what, this dynamic, it's not unique to children. Adults, I think, today feel exactly the same way. You know, how many people do you know that are lonely? I mean, adults, we're just better at hiding it. You know, people who are lonely, people who feel ignored, when people feel that way, it closes people off. Right? It causes them to build walls, to build defense mechanisms. It causes people to isolate themselves. There's life inside every person that is dying to come out. But if there's nobody there to hear their cry, it never does. It never does. And the, the, the isolation, the walls that get built get thicker and thicker and thicker. Just this week, I was talking to one of my neighbors, and I just shared this story. I shared, you know, just a brief um, about the babies, and then I was talking about the application for adults. And I didn't expect this, but he got really, really quiet, really slowed down, and I could see the emotion behind his eyes. And I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, this is exactly what he's going through. And... You know, as you think about this, I mean, even in the church, even in our church, there's people who are dying inside. There are people here who feel isolated, who feel lonely, like they can't talk, like that nobody is listening to them. They're convinced that nobody cares about them. I read a survey this week that was done of people who attend church, and the results of the survey were interesting because um, the survey said that, um, that, that going to church didn't so much make a difference in the happiness that people experience, 
But going to church and having close friends in the church actually made a difference in people's sense of happiness in their lives. And so for us, I want your mind to be opened that we have sojourners in our lives. There are people, there are folks in your life who don't share your beliefs. And so in that sense, they're different, they are foreign, they're, uh, they, they, they might be classified as sojourners. But you also have people in your life, more than you probably realize, who feel lonely, isolated, or estranged. There's people in your life right now that feel that way. They are sojourners. These are people whose needs have not gone away, but their hope that someone cares has. So I want you to think, who are the sojourners in your life? Maybe you're already starting to think. Maybe some names are occurring to you. Write it down. Write down the names of people in your life that you feel like may be struggling My hope is that these are people that you've been praying for, right? From January, you've been praying for them. February, you're making an effort to get to know them better. Hi, how are you? What's new? Right? This month, my hope is that you're going to do something with them. Drinks, dinner, lunch, breakfast, coffee, whatever. You're going to do something that engages them. Invite them to do something with them this month. Well, God says about these sojourners, he says we need to love the sojourners in our lives. And the question is, how do we do that? Right? How do we do that? Well, that's our second point. So you've seen who the sojourners are. Second, how? How do we love the sojourners? In our passage in the Old Testament, God says love them. In the New Testament, it's interesting because God encourages this love with the idea of hospitality. Okay, hospitality is the word that is used frequently in the New Testament that is aiming at getting people to love the sojourners in their lives. Hospitality, in a sense, overcomes the tension, right? And it makes a stranger into a friend. Okay, if you show hospitality, then you make someone who is a stranger feel like they're a friend. And hospitality was unbelievably important. Okay, it was unbelievably important to the church. Look at, uh, in this list of verses, look at 1 Timothy 3.2. It says, therefore, an overseer, now that's a pastor or an elder, okay? So therefore, a pastor or an elder must be, so these are qualifications, if you want to be a pastor or an elder in the church, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. This was so important that God made it so that the leaders had to be able to... If, if Hospitality was more important than your ability to teach. Right? It came first. Or it came before. The ability to teach. Right? This is how important it was to God. Then look at 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10. This is interesting. Let a widow be enrolled. What they're talking about is the widows that were then eligible to receive financial assistance. So like the care fund. If you needed help with the church, if you were a widow, um, there were qualifications to that. That's kind of interesting. If you wanted help from the church, financial assistance, there were qualifications. Look at this. Let a widow be enrolled, meaning let her qualify for financial assistance, if she is not less than 60 years of age, 
having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And so hospitality was so important that it's required for some people to be able to get financial assistance from the church. And so think about this. You know, we don't use the term hospitality very often in our day and age. We just don't, I don't know, we just don't use that word very often. Most people, though, when you think about that term, you normally think of that it's having people in your home. I mean, that's kind of the way we think about it mostly. My hope, though, is that you're beginning to see that it's so much more than that. That hospitality, uh, it's, it's bigger. There's a bigger reality behind hospitality. There's something bigger and larger and more significant than, than having people in your home that produces a desire to have, your, to have people in your home, but it's so much more than that. So more than opening your home, hospitality, it's opening your heart and your life to others. Okay, that's what it is. It's opening your heart and your life to others. We're going to put it in a single word. It's a life of welcome. It's a life of welcome. If you are welcoming, what you're, what you're saying by your life is you're saying, I am going to open my heart. I am going to open my life to include others. Exodus 23.9 there at the top of that second list. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. what we see here in terms of how to love the sojourners. You've got to love them as yourself. This is the same passage in Leviticus 19. In verse 18 it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well now God is saying, you need to love the sojourners in your life in that same exact way. So your neighbors who are like you and then the neighbors in your life who aren't like you. What welcoming does, it's treating others like they are part of your family. I mean, that's what God is pushing us to embrace. God is trying to squeeze open our hearts. I think Proverbs 23, verses 6 to 8, has a really interesting picture. Um, and it shows us that like, this is about the heart. It's not just about the actions, which I love, right? Because it's possible to sort of go through the motions and have your heart be really far from what you're trying to do. Look at this image in Proverbs 23, 6. It's a warning. It says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Okay, the idea here is be on the lookout because there are some people that may act like they're hospitable, but in their hearts, they're really not. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. So this is someone who, I mean, for whatever reason, is acting as though 
they want, maybe they feel obligated, maybe they feel like if they do this, then they can feel better about themselves, maybe they're trying to check off some sort of a spiritual to-do list, um, for whatever reason, um, but inside they're, it's like they're keeping score. Yeah, that's not love. Love doesn't keep score. Love isn't doing things to try to earn something. Love is doing something because, you know what, I love you and I care about you and I'm going to open my life to include you in it. Verse 8 of Proverbs 23 says, You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. I was thinking this week as I was getting ready for this, you know, there is an example of something that we say just about every day that brings this home. I mean, we, we actually think all of us say this. When someone says, thank you, you respond by saying, you're welcome, right? Have you ever thought about what that actually means? You're welcome? I was thinking about it, you know, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Like, what exactly are we trying to say? I think what we're saying is, look, I have opened my life for you in this way, and you are welcome in my life. I think that's what we're saying, right? Because we've done something that is nice, it's going out of the way, it's going, you know, we have made some sort of a sacrifice. It might be a big sacrifice, it might be a small sacrifice. So somebody says, thank you. They recognize that you have opened your life up to them. You've opened your heart up in a way. And what you say when you say you're welcome is you're saying, you know what, you are welcome to this portion of my life. So think that when you say that from now on. Because that's really what you're doing when you make sacrifices, when you care for people, when you love them. You're already doing this. What's neat is that now you can actually see that you are Im- you're embodying the kind of love that God has for other people. The kind of love that God wants to show through you to other people. And I think when we understand this, this idea of a life of welcome, we can see how that how us opening our hearts and our lives to others, for others, how it really can alleviate and cure that sense of isolation. Right? That's what fixes it. When people feel like nobody cares, people feel like they are, when they isolate themselves because they're convinced that nobody, just nobody, get, nobody cares about their heart, nobody cares about their concerns, nobody, and, they're, and they're struggling, this is what cures that loneliness and isolation because you then make that sojourn, you make that person in your life feel like family. How many times in your life have you said to someone else, you know, I've never said this to anybody, but, and then you shared with them something that was deep in your heart, something you were dealing with, right? How did you feel when you did that. How did that make you feel? Obviously, how did you feel about this person, right, that you felt close enough to, that you felt enough trust to actually share this? Flip it around. Um, How many times has somebody said that to you? You know, I've never told anybody this, but... And then they divulge something part of their past, a struggle that they're dealing with, some scar. 
when you get to a place where you have a life of welcome to other people and they then share that, you are giving them life. You are allowing the stuff that's, that's walled up on the inside to come out. They are opening the doorway to what is most deeply impactful in their lives and they are letting you come in. I have a friend who um, has, you know, people have quotes at the bottoms of their emails, you know, and some of them are kind of cheesy, some of them are cool. Well, this, this one's really cool. It's from C.S. Lewis, and he says this, and it totally fits. It says this. It says, Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's a life of welcome. That is, that is love that we need and it's love that the people in our lives need. And when you get this kind of welcome, it impacts all of life. Okay? Let me give you an example of this. It's kind of interesting. Um, Andrew Bynum. Okay, name ring a bell to anybody? Center for the Los Angeles Lakers, professional basketball team, okay? This guy makes $13.8 million a year, okay? He makes a lot of money. Um, he, he actually was out the first, like, 30 games of this season, so he didn't even play all the games of the season. If he plays the rest of every game this season, which he probably won't, he will make $275,000 every game that he plays. Okay? Now, he's a big guy, right? He's like seven foot, you know, huge guy. So he doesn't play the whole game, right? He doesn't play all 48 minutes of the game. He actually plays 26 minutes a game. So again, do the math. He's making $10,000 a minute. That's a lot of money. That's crazy. Well, he's been in the league for about five years and when he first came into the league, he was, he, he really struggled. He, he dealt with injuries, but even beyond that, he just wasn't playing up to his potential. Okay, he really struggled. They were very disappointed with his performance. And then things changed. Something happened, and his game got ratcheted up a, a few notches. His, his performance significantly improved. And the people that have kind of gone in and figured out what was going on, they said the difference was in his confidence level. Okay? He was plagued with mediocrity because he didn't actually want to embarrass himself. It's kind of interesting. He didn't want to embarrass himself. So there were things that he was unwilling to try, that he knew he could do but didn't want to, because if he failed, he would embarrass himself. Okay, he's making $13.8 million, and he's worried that he's going to embarrass himself. Well, when his performance um, improved, sports writer David Thorpe said that this is what happened in his life. What he needed and what he got was, quote, loving support from his mentor. Loving support from his mentor. 
This guy's making $13.8 million a year. And he just needed someone to open their heart and life to him. That's amazing. And it just shows you how much and how in just about every area of our life we need this, right? How, how often are you tentative at work? Right? Kind of feel like maybe you could step out, but you're nervous. You don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, we do, we do with the exact same thing. Right? In our relationships, we, 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 we struggle with mediocrity because we just need someone to say, you know what, you're good enough. You know what, you've got talent. You know what, you've got gifts. You know what, you need to pursue this because you know I'm with you. When you have this, it affects all of life. It affects all of life. Now, I know that there are some of you here today that feel like you are a sojourner. They feel like you are disconnected. They feel like you're isolated, like you're not, like, like you're longing for someone to open their heart and life to you. Uh, here's what's amazing. In the crazy, gospel, upside-down, paradoxical way that Jesus is, Jesus said this in the Gospels. He said, whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Okay, and what that means in this context is that if you want to be heard because you feel like there's nobody that cares enough to hear you, then the way to be heard is to hear someone else. If you feel isolated, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but this is one of these amazing things where if you will trust that what Jesus says is true and act on it, he will show up and your faith will grow. Your faith will grow. If you feel like there's nobody and you wish there was somebody who would listen to you, the first step is for you to listen to someone else. Look around you and ask someone, how are they doing? Ask someone what's new in their life. Let them know by your heart and your words and your actions that, you know what, I'm going to open up my life to include you. I actually want to know what's going on with you. So nine times out of ten, that will result in they will care about you too. And in your effort to be heard, but you, but you stop and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to trust you, and you listen to someone else, they will normally turn around and listen to you. They'll care about you. In that tenth out of tenth times, you know, where you hear, you hear, you hear, you listen, and then there's nothing reciprocated, I mean, at that point, if that happens to you, I can tell you that Jesus is going to show up in your life in such a powerful way that what he does for you will be better than if that person responded. And so if you're struggling there, if you feel like the sojourner, please trust our Lord, follow him, and open yourself up to someone else. Allow, welcome somebody else into your life and see what happens. What can you do this week, this month? I mean, specifically, what can you do this week, this month, to show someone else a life of welcome? Think about it. Write something down. If, you, if there's an idea coming to you, write it down. That may be God himself speaking to you and prompting you to put this into action.
So that's how to love sojourners. Our last point is why. Why to love sojourners. The biggest reason is, you know, why, why should you open your heart and your life to someone else? It's because God has opened his heart and his life to love you. That's the biggest, the biggest reason. Again, Exodus 23.9. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. But God brought you out. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. Do him no wrong. Treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I mean, the Deuteronomy 12, or the Deuteronomy 10 passage. Behold, the Lord your God, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. I mean, this tells the whole story of the Bible. Right? God, the whole message of Scripture is that God opened up his heart and his life to welcome you. Creation itself, the reason God made the heavens and the earth was so that you might be in a relationship with him. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in this amazing dance and wonder of love in and amongst themselves, perfectly content, perfectly happy, with incredible joy and love, pouring their lives out and into each other, opening themselves to each other, welcoming each other. And then they made the world and everything in it. And they then invited us, they welcomed us into that life. And even after, even after we turned our back on God, even after we cut ourselves off from Him by not following His ways, by not doing it the way He wanted to, even after we cut ourselves off, God continues to pursue us. He continues to open Himself farther and farther and farther. It's like He puts Himself on the line so that we can even abuse Him. Right? God pours Himself out for us to welcome us back into His family. Man, the miracle of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his son. I mean, it's what we read, right? When Jesus walked on the earth, Jesus came to offer us welcome into his family. Come to me, all you who labored or heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And as if that wasn't enough, then Jesus goes farther and he literally opened his heart. He literally opened his heart. His love is so deep and broad and rich and high. His love goes so far that he opened his life. He poured out his life. He gave his life to welcome you back into his family to take on the sin that separates you from God and to do away with it so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be cleansed, so that you can start fresh with the Lord. 
I mean, in Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner. Well, with Jesus, God executed injustice. The, the justice that was due to us for our sins, God poured out on Jesus. Executed justice on him that was supposed to go on us so that we might be made, not sojourners, but sons and daughters of God himself. Forgiveness, fellowship, understanding. God hears your cry. He welcomes you. This is where the strength comes from to be able, even when you're in a minority situation as a Christian, to want to welcome the sojourners in your life. Right? In some respects, the minority ends up being the sojourner, right? And there are places where, uh, where you feel like you're the only Christian. And, and it's hard, but it's this kind of love, this kind of divine, God-given love, that as it fills you, you think, you know what? Even though I'm one and, and by myself, you know what? This love has to go out. I've got to help other people understand this love. That's the love that helps us turn around to welcome others. To welcome others. And what's amazing is that when you do that, when you do that, when you turn around having received the love of God and love other people that way, when you open yourself up, when you open your heart and your life to others, what happens is that you show them that God welcomes them too. Like God loves the world. And he wants to show that love through you. There are people in your life who are sojourning, right? Who are desperate for significance, for meaning, for happiness, that feel isolated. God wants you to, to, to read. He just wants you to be in their life. He wants you to care about them, to know what's going on, and then to be someone who, um, who wants to help, right? Who wants to understand who is there, and someone who has a relationship with him that you just end up talking about in the day-in and day-outness of your relationship so that you can let them know that God is for them and that God has a way for them to be able to come back to him. And that's how it works. That's how it works. And it begins with the people in your life right now. Again, who are they? Who are they? Who is in your life right now that God wants to welcome through you. I mean, it begins right here on Sundays. Right? Who is here in the church that you need to open your heart and life to and just ask them how they're doing? Right? We should be the most welcoming people on earth because God has welcomed us into his family. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Man. We've had friends and neighbors who have wanted to press in and know more about Jesus. Others who have become Christians because all we have done is said, hey, how you doing? Oh, what's going on in your life? Oh, really? Okay. Wow, that's tough. Man, yeah, well, how are you handling this? What kinds of things are going on? You know, not to push this on you, but when this happens for me, here's what works for me. This is how Jesus has helped me get through times that are kind of similar. Man, this, is what, this is what God's calling us to do. It's just to share who you are with Jesus and let your relationship with him then manifest itself in your friendships, 
I want to close with the end of the story I started with. This couple that was going to adopt these two boys. Um, He goes on to say, We played with them every day while we were there, but neither boy made a sound. We read them books filled with words they couldn't understand about saying goodnight to the moon and cows jumping over the same, but there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. Every day we left at the appointed time in the same way that we had entered, in silence. On the last day of the trip, Maria and I got to that moment that we had dreaded since the minute we received our adoption referral. We had to tell the boys goodbye. As by law, we had to return to the United States and wait for the legal paperwork to be completed before returning to pick them up for good. After hugging and kissing them, we walked out into the hallway quietly, and Maria shook with tears. And that's when we heard the scream. Little Maxim fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. It seemed that he knew, maybe for the first time, that he would be heard. On some primal level, he knew that he had a father and a mother now. Who's crying in your life? Who stopped crying? God is calling you to welcome them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you tell us now who is crying in our lives? Would you tell us who stopped crying? Jesus, would you move in us to know practically what we can do to welcome them? I am so amazed, Jesus, at what you have done for me. It blows my mind the way that you have welcomed me and us into your family. The extent that you have gone to love, to be patient, to hear our cry. Lord, teach us how we can share that with others. And Jesus, for those who are here who haven't yet put their faith in you, would you help them see and experience that you are listening to their cry, that you have heard their cry. Week in and week out, you are here reading to us from your book, speaking to us, listening to us. Lord, for those here who have stopped crying, would you make sure that they know that you have heard? And would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to welcome others, to open our lives and our hearts so that we would share your grace, that we'd share your love, so that people would feel heard. Amen.